What's the worst flight you've ever been on? Worst flight. While back, Lisa and I were in Costa Rica. I, we had flown into the capital city, got a rental car, drove up to the volcano area, and then we were catching a puddle jumper to go to the shore. It was cheaper than the eight-hour drive that we were going to do. So we uh, get in our rental car to drop it off. We're uh, putting into the GPS the coordinates for the airstrip where we're to go out. And the only thing we could find was a building that had a big sign on it that said karaoke bar. And we're like, okay, it must be in the karaoke bar. And so we drive to the back of the karaoke bar, and that's where the landing strip was. Now, to give you an idea of what this airport looked like, it was a karaoke bar, and there was a motorcycle out back where a guy would hop on and go chase away the cows before the plane came in. So we're sitting there in the karaoke bar drinking a soft drink, um, looking out at the cows on the airstrip when a plane that looked like one, it was one of Pablo Escobar's drug cartel planes comes in. Uh, they had us put our baggage in first because then each person had to go in one by one because they had to equalize the weight in the plane. Evidently, I weigh what two women would weigh, so they're balancing this plane out, and I'm like, this is not a good sign, right? So um, the plane takes off, and um, it banks, and then it heads straight for a volcano. Now, the, the, we had two, drive, two pilots on this plane. The guy on the right kept playing with the Spotify playlist. And the guy behind, the guy right in front of me, uh, was drink, or was um, eating a sandwich and some chips, and he had a, a coke wedged in between his legs. So I'm thinking, what could possibly go wrong? So eventually, we get to the point where we are enveloped in, in the clouds and we can't see a thing. And I'm looking at the monitor, and we're going really, really close. Lisa's asleep, everybody is, is not paying attention, but I'm paying attention because I'm realizing that we're coming up to a volcano, and at the last second, the clouds split open, and we were headed straight towards the mountain, and so the pilot screams as he pulls back on the plane, and as we're going up, and I'm looking down at the wheels, and we came that close to hitting the wheels of the plane going over this volcano. I actually completely made that up. It was, it was, it was actually quite an easy flight. We were in the clouds. We were headed towards a volcano. There was a guy playing with a Spotify playlist. The guy did have a Coke wedged in between his knees. The only difference was is that they were watching the instrument panel. And as long as they kept their eyes on the instrument panel, we were just fine. And as we coast over this volcano, I thought to myself, 
this was one of the scariest times I've ever been in a plane, but they weren't scared at all. And I thought, this is a perfect metaphor for our culture. There are so many things going on in our culture where it just, you can't pay attention to what's going on in the culture. You can't pay attention to what your friends are doing, to what the schools are telling you you should you should do, uh, your culture, and you know a lot of it is right, a lot of it's good, and some of it isn't. And so, how do you discern between all of the noise and everything that's coming at you? You have to keep your eyes on the instrument panel. You have to keep your eyes on God's word. And there's no other issue, I think. I can think of some, but there's no other personal issues of, of, of our own personal behavior that, that really, I think, weigh into this metaphor more than the topic of anger. I've been a pastor for over 30 years now, and everybody talks about how money is, is one of the things that, that causes a, a downfall in a relationship. i got to be honest, it's not money. It's anger. It's misplaced anger. It's how people deal with their anger. It's kids towards their parents, parents towards their kids, um, partners with one another. Anger destroys relationships. Anger has the ability to basically take what what could have been a really beautiful relationship and crush it. So today what I want to do is I want to look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is calling people to follow him. And he hasn't said what it means to actually follow him. In the the first century sense, sense, when you became a mathetes, a disciple, a learner of a rabbi, you would follow the rabbi around and, and, and you would sit at the rabbi's feet. Jesus inverts that and he sits down at the Sermon on the Mount and he teaches them something that should have made most people walk away because it is unbelievably radical. It is radical in the idea and it's radical in the implication. And a lot of people think it's like this substitutionary atonement. It's the death of Jesus that turns people off. It's not that. It's not those sort of theological things that make people turn away from Christianity. It's this actual, practical, living stuff. Because it's so radically different from how people operate and how people think in our culture. (coughs) So, excuse me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Jesus gives us three steps to deal with anger. And when we go through this, you're going to realize that how people deal with their anger in our culture is so radically different from what Jesus is calling us to do that if we actually did this, if we actually lived by this, we would be so attractive to non-Christians that they would ask, why are you so different? And so let's look at the passage and we'll deal with this. Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 24 says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment after death. That's a pretty radical concept, right? That if you get angry with someone, you're actually going to be subject to going to hell. 
Now, Jesus speaks in these um, um, very abrupt ways to grab people's attention. He's not literally saying that you're going to go to hell. But he's saying is that people, when they look at serial killers... When they look at people that murder people, they look at those people and they say they're going to go to hell. Have you ever seen a serial killer? Have you ever talked to a serial killer? Do you know any Steelers fans? They're the same. They're the same. Same people, right? So you, you, would, you would have absolute disgust towards someone that would murder someone that would be a serial killer. And Jesus is saying, I am elevating anger to the level of, (coughs) I'm going to keep coughing here. So can I preach with this thing on? No? Is that bad? But I'm going to spit all over the front row here. You don't want me to spit on the front row here? I'm going to go back a little bit. Can you see me there? You're used to being spit upon? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So anyway, long story short, Jesus is elevating anger to the level of murder. And if I was one of the very first people that were following him, I was like, that's stupid. Because there are some very good reasons why I'll be angry at people. Now, he said that um, anyone who's angry with, angry with a brother or sister, that, that, or anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, And that's an Aramaic word for son of a bee. In the first century, if anyone says to a calls a brother or sister an SOB, you could go to the Sanhedrin court. (coughs) Um, Can I have somebody backstage bring me a water? Otherwise, I'm going to be I'm going to be coughing this whole time. And I, Robin, I'm sorry for spitting on you. So uh, let me get through this quick. He says that if you call someone a son of a bee, they can take you in the first century to court. But he says anyone who calls someone a fool is in danger of the fire of hell. Just think about that. If someone murders... It's just as bad to be angry. If you can take someone, thank you very much. Can I thank Frank who preached for me last week on a last night? I called him on Wednesday and I was like, bro, I'm down for the count. And he said, I'll do it. And so I appreciate that. So the first step of dealing with anger, which is so radically different from our culture, is it says to stop what we're doing immediately. As soon as you feel angry, to stop. And so in verses 23 and 24, this this is fleshed out. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person Then come and offer your gift. Um, Are you one of the people that when you're, let's say, on 202 in front of the mall and there's a long line of traffic, that you'll go in the right lane and drive all the way up to the front 
and then sort of duck in at the last second. Raise your hand because we need to know who's going to hell, okay? We need to know who's you. It's you people, you people that do this. That's terrible, right? Um, I want you to imagine in the first century a line that's not in front of the wa- uh, not in front of the mall that's like uh, sixty cars long, but is sixty thousand cars long. During the Passover, when upwards of a hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand people would descend on Jerusalem, they would take animals where they were going to they were going to eat them. They're going to eat them. Hold on, PETA people. So they were going to take these animals and sacrifice them. And they're going to eat every part of it later. But you're holding this animal as you're all in line. And Jesus says, you've been there since 6 in the morning. It's now 5.15 in the afternoon. And before the priest kills the animal that you take home and cook and you eat every part of that animal... Right before you hand your animal to the priest, you remember that there's someone that's angry with you. You leave it, get out of line, and you go to that person. Think about that for a second. Who's angry with you right now in your life? Who's upset with you? Who are you upset with right now in your life? We can all make a list that there there are probably some people that we have these relationships where we could we could address these little these little fires. And Jesus is saying, if you're in the middle of something that is so incredibly important to you, and then in the off chance you remember at the last second. After put, Talk about sunk cost theory. After putting literally 12 hours into waiting in this stupid line, right before you go in, you remember someone is angry with you, get out of line and go to that person. Leave your gift there on the altar, go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your gift. There's a verse I want you to remember. Um... The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, I went ahead to page 4 at the bottom. Um, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, it says this. In your anger, do not sin, which is good. Because you can be angry at someone, and it's not sinful. You're not going to go to hell. Jesus is elevating this idea of anger. If someone is, has made you angry, it's not, it's not a sin to be angry. It is a sin to not do what said is next. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, as a disciple of Jesus, you have until the end of the day to, to quell this issue that you're having with your child with your spouse, the person that you're dating, an extended family member. And this is what's difficult about being a disciple of Jesus. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, hey, it would be awesome if you get around at some point to doing this. Jesus is saying, right now, actually do it. And so the question is, who do you need to do that with? Who do you need to, when when we have communion... To say, I'm not celebrating the Lord's Supper, I'm, I'm leaving. 
Because I'm going to go and I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to text this person. I'm going to call this person. I'm not going to let the sun go down on my anger. I remember when Lisa and I were first married. um, Ask her about it. My gosh. It was our relationship was so difficult because she was a terrible person. And she, no, it, it was, it was just hard. We were so immature and I was such a jerk and, and we were just so inexperienced, but we kept to this. There were conversations we had till like four in the morning, but it didn't carry to the next day. Like we did that. That's why in verse 23 and 24, it says, if you're, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift on the altar and go. In, in, in English, it just says go, but in Greek, it's, a, it's an aorist imperative. It's a command. Now, like literally now, literally Jesus is telling the people, go right now. Stop listening to me. You don't need to hear anything else. Actually go do this. Several years ago, Psychology Today asked if you could secretly push a button and thereby eliminate any person with no repercussions to yourself, would you push it? 69% of males said yes. 56% of women said yes. Is that true? Like, is there someone in your life where you could push a button and they get zapped? Am I the person getting zapped? Who's getting zapped in your life, right? Like how many, like we've honestly felt that way before. I was just someone this week, I was interacting with them in a restaurant. And I was like, oh, if I had the button, oh, I would zap you right out of here. What? I mean, this person was, I mean, what a jerk. Jesus was talking about conflict in the church one time. And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And this is what makes us different as disciples of Jesus. That not, It's not just in our family that this is a very good principle to follow. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Can we commit to that? That starting today, we're not going to allow the sun to go down on our anger. That we're going to be the ones that even, even if they're angry with us, that's the point. This is what makes it difficult. He was the jerk. That person that I'm doing business with, that person, that, that was the person. That, that, they need zapped, not me. And Jesus is like, I know. But you're going to call him. And you're like, that's not fair. And he's like, I didn't say it was fair. I said we were going to change the world. And this is how it's done. I want you to call them up and I want you to text them and I want you to have a conversation and just simply say, man, I just really didn't like how that conversation went. I don't don't want to leave things like that because I I think a lot of you, or if you don't like them and you do actually want to zap them, hey, I just want you to know I, I didn't want to leave things that way. And so the question is if we know we're a disciple of Jesus if we do that today. If we don't do that today, then we're not a disciple of Jesus, period. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. That if we don't do this, we're not a disciple. 
It's as simple as that. We ought not call ourselves Christians unless we actually do that. The thing is, is that we all know that it's better to do this, right? Like, when was the last time you've been angry at someone for months or years? And you're like, I gotta be honest, this has been great. This has been awesome. I'm feeling great. This is working for me, right? The, the, the fact of the matter is, going and dealing with anger is a form of suffering as a disciple of Jesus. I'm on a radio show called Focus on the Family. This is a number of years ago. I had written a book on forgiveness. And they were talking about how if you don't forgive people, it's like that Don Henley song, right? You know, and, 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 and it's going to eat you up inside. And I was telling them, I actually don't think that's the case. I think that forgiveness, when you're forgiving the other person, it, you're actually giving something up. I think like when John McCain was held by his arms by the Vietnamese for days on end and couldn't move his shoulder and he asked them if he forgives his captors and he said no. I don't think that he was hurting at all psychologically. But the reason as disciples of Jesus we would say yes we forgive those people is because it gives up power. Now, you can be in a relationship with someone and you can push this to the extreme so much to where you don't even have boundaries. And Jesus isn't talking about that either. Like if you're the one that's constantly trying to keep this relationship going, if you're the one that is constantly forgiving, if you're the one that's constantly extending the olive branch, that's not healthy either. But at the very first sign and the second sign and third sign, we need to be willing to do this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. I want you to think for a second. Are you a peacemaker that is willing to have hard conversations? Or are you the peacekeeper that wants to keep everybody from fighting? Which one are you? Because this really dictates how you're going to go about resolving anger. I am more of the peacekeeper. And a lot of people think I'll be the peacemaker. No, no, no. Actually, I am the peacekeeper. We'll be at dinner. All the kids are there, right? We're all talking about something. And things get tense. And what do I do? I have a PhD in misdirection. Who needs some more sausage? Right? Uh, Let's avoid this difficult conversation because it's hard for me right now. And maybe I'll say something funny and I'll change the subject. And long time ago, my kids just realized this is true about me. And let's say, no, dad, seriously, we need to talk about this. Stop it. Be reconciled to that person is an odd word. Reconciliation is different from forgiveness. You can forgive anyone. You can forgive a dead person. But you don't necessarily have to be reconciled to that person in terms of the relationship. 
some of you have been divorced and being reconciled is, I forgive you, I'm just putting the blowtorch down. But that doesn't mean you're in a relationship and you're putting up with that person's crap anymore. It's just, I'm, I'm done. I'm done being the aggressor. I'm done going after you. I'm not wasting one more ounce of my strength and capacity on your negativity. I'm done. And I forgive you, by the way. And if I had a button, I'd zap you. Just want to make it clear. You'd be gone. But I don't have that. They haven't admitted that button yet, right? And that's what a disciple of Jesus does. And so if you go to the last, the very last slide on, on, on page nine, it says, Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, you need to forgive. You need to reconcile if you can. But there are some situations where it's not healthy for you to actually be back in a relationship with that person. It's not healthy for you to do that. You need to have boundaries. God cares just as much about you as he does the other person. But there is this radical element. I just want you to think for a second. What would happen if all of us today thought if there was someone that God brought up in your mind, a cousin a, a parent, a child, and we just called them up today or texted them and we just said, listen, I don't feel good about where we left things. Can we talk about that? That is so different from what's going on in our cancel culture today, right? You're done. You're done. No, you're done. I, I done you back, right? No, you're no. We don't cancel people as disciples of Jesus. We love them. We embrace them. We try to reconcile. Unless it's not healthy for us. And then we create a boundary. Let's pray. Jesus says your disciples, it's so difficult at times. I just think this is such a radical concept. I'm, I'm just surprised that anybody followed you. It's so difficult. We pray that you would be with us in these conversations. We pray that you would help us to see the end result, to see past our hurt, to see past our anger, to see past our desire for revenge, to actually creating an opportunity for you to do something pretty, pretty supernatural. So we pray that you would give us strength. We pray that you would help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.